And um, when I went to my primary care physician, the most interesting thing was that he actually thought the entire problem was in my head because when he looked at my lab values, he thought that nothing was wrong. Welcome to the Seamland Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and today our guest is Saad Alam. Saad is an entrepreneur from the US and the founder and CEO of Hone. Hone is an online clinic specialized in male hormone optimization and health. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to improve your testosterone and vitality. This episode is brought to you by Katsu Training. Katsu bands incorporate blood flow moderation training that trick the body into thinking that it's lifting heavier weights than it actually is. When traditional weightlifting requires you to reach 70 to 80% of your one repetition maximum to stimulate muscle hypertrophy, then Katsu bands achieve that effect only at 20 to 30%. So it's perfect for treating injuries or used when you don't have access to heavier weights. Research about Katsu bands also shows it lowers blood pressure, speeds up recovery from injuries, releases stem cells, builds muscle, burns fat, and prevents aging of the muscle loss. These things are amazing, and I use them almost every day to recover from my heavier workouts. If you want to try out the Katsu bands, then use the code SEAM for a 10% discount at katsu-global.com. That's S-I-I-M at katsu-global.com. Saad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Seem. I'm really, really excited to be here. Yeah, we uh, met first, first time on uh, face-to-face a few years ago at the uh, Biohacker Summit in Toronto. And uh, you uh, were actually interviewing me for your uh, website, and which is a peak, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, maybe like how's life been since that time? <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. We actually started, uh, it was a kind of like a content site called Prime, just having a little bit of fun. We were just so incredibly enthralled with the idea of biohacking because I'm in large part a biohacker as well. And as we got really deep into the industry and I had a bunch of kind of personal problems that I went through on the side as well, we, we quickly evolved from, from prime into peak and peak mm. is now hone actually. Gotcha. And so uh, what we really kind of like focus on is helping men optimize their hormones, having more confidence as they actually age. Uh, and more than anything, like really helping people understand that there is this movement and a, a narrative that is changing, which is that age should not be a limit. Um, and mm-hmm. I kind of take that very seriously coming on 40 here right now uh, and thinking that I do feel like I'm in my 20s, which has been absolutely amazing. Mm. Well, that's good to hear. But uh, how did you, let's say, get into uh, this health and wellness in the first place? That's that's a great question. Um, so, so I'll actually say it like this. Uh, health and wellness has always been a really big part of my life. Um, you know, my parents we're first generation Pakistani uh, immigrants. And when you are young, all you want to do is really fit in uh, more than anything. And so the way that I learned how to fit in was playing sports. Mm -hmm. And so I was an athlete growing up. I still am, I don't know, a pseudo athlete. I don't know if I'm really good at it, uh, get it to any things anymore, but I work out six days a week. I've done it for the past 25 days of my life. I've tracked my, my, my sleep with three different devices. Uh, I try eating perfectly. I'm constantly researching and experimenting with different, different dieting protocols. Uh, I meditate twice a day. I've got an infrared sauna literally in my office so I can jump in and out of it between meetings. I do cold showers regularly. So I guess it's just, it's a very, very big part of my identity. And mm-hmm. the reason that we kind of came to, uh, into, into hormones is when I turned 35, a bunch of things started happening to me that were just really, really weird. Um, the first thing is my mental acuity and my stamina started to decrease dramatically. So I was literally having trouble 
just remembering really simple concepts, uh, which is completely unlike me. And then I could feel uh, my body composition just started to change. So I started to gain quite a bit of weight and I've never gained weight uh, really. I mean, unless I go eat two dozen donuts or something, but um, that started happening. And then my libido, uh, meaning like, like my desire to have sex was like absolutely gone. And, and even so much, so like the plumbing wasn't even working and that just made for a bunch of really uncomfortable conversations between me and my girlfriend. And that's what really kind of started this new journey or quest to understanding what's happening with my body. And um, when I went to my primary care physician, the most interesting thing was that he actually thought the entire problem was in my head because when he looked at my lab values, he thought that nothing was wrong. And that is what began this journey of meeting different specialists and finally a real understanding that I had the testosterone levels of an 80 year old man. Um, and so that was probably the real alarm in my head to say, well, why is this happening to me? And is it happening to other men across the world? Mm, right. So yeah, there's, there's a, this huge difference between uh... Like you, the doctor probably saw that the uh, testosterone values were in the reference range, like quote unquote normal, but what's normal is not optimal. And, uh, you know, what has happened over the past few decades is that this uh, normal is uh, decreasing all the time. So it's getting lower and lower and it is normal for like most men to have um, very low testosterone levels. And uh, yeah, like, you know, the doctors themselves just follow these, um, you know, the references that they have and they don't really, you know, they, they much rather, yeah, not really care about <laughs> trying to improve it. Yeah, you nailed it. And that's, it's, it's so interesting that right, the, the reference range for men uh, in the US is generally 900 grams per, nano, uh, to, per deciliter to 300. And depending upon which lab you go to, that 300 could be 180 or 150. Uh, and my levels were actually at about 180, which was like just on the line of the reference range for that right. lab. And a guy of my age, when I was, I was 35, when I initially had myself tested, I should have probably been at like 600 or 700. Mm -hmm. um, and my doctor just looked at the range. He said, nope, you're perfectly healthy. There's nothing to worry about here. And he didn't really understand nor appreciate the nuance in what that range meant. And he never questioned it sec a second time over. And I think it was also hard for him to get over the idea that I could have potentially had a testosterone deficiency because I was in really great shape. Um, and so he was thinking maybe it was depression. Uh, if anything, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm not really depressed. Like my life is pretty great. Um, I have nothing to be depressed about. Uh, but it was a, it was a, a very interesting conversation. Yeah. I'm interested like to, uh, how, how did you uh, experience this? Uh, like uh, you mentioned that you you know, when you got 35, then you saw, started saw, seeing the symptoms. But was it like, you know, overnight or, you know, how gradual was the process, like over the course of days or uh, weeks, months? Well, so that's, that's, a, that's a good question, right? It's not like I snapped my fingers and all of a sudden I felt a specific way. Mm -hmm. It was probably like, so, so I, there was another interesting event going on in my life. I was, um, I was running another technology company and we were just selling the company. And it was like, I could feel my energy getting lower and lower towards the end of that experience. And a large part of me thought it was just because I'm working, you know, insane amounts of hours right now. Uh, but the reality is that even after that, we sold the company and I finally had time to myself again, 
I noticed it consistently got worse and worse and worse. And probably about, I'd say like four to five months when I had a lot of time to think, it got progressively worse all of a sudden. And no matter what I did, it just wouldn't improve, right? It was like, do I do I consume more caffeine? Uh, no, that actually kind of made me feel overstimulated. Um, mm. Do I uh, do I meditate differently? Nope, that didn't do anything. Couldn't get to the gym the same hours. Uh, and I think that it was the accumulation of all these things. And, and also probably I think seem like no one talks about, they're like these very deep psychological issues that also happen too, right? When you're someone that's probably overconfident and you're always have this energy and you're go, go, go. And all of a sudden you start feeling like you can't remember things as well. And you can't almost don't want to get out of bed certain days. It really makes you question yourself as a man. And so much of our identity is wrapped up in providing for people that we care for. And so I was having questions like, am I good enough to build another company? Can I take care of my aging parents? Can I take care of my family? Like it really questioned my manhood into account. And it was like, I remember the day I woke up and I was like, I got to get this fixed. And it was Mm. because I realized that I just didn't feel like myself anymore. And that was probably Mm. the the scariest thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I I agree that you probably it's not going to happen like overnight and, uh, there's the, also the thing that uh, you actually get used to it in a sense, like you get used to the low energy and uh, let's say if it sticks around for a few weeks, then this is your new level, new baseline, so to say. So like previously you were used to being in high energy, but uh, after a few weeks of being, let's say, uh, sleep deprived or overstressed, et cetera, et cetera, your uh, basal levels of uh, energy are going to be slightly lower. And the longer you stay there, you're going to get used to it, so to say. So you're going to forget about what it meant to be actually, like, let's say, high energy. And, uh, you know, after a while, you know, yep. eventually you kind of maybe snap out of it for some sense that, uh, hey, this is not something that I'm kind of used at and uh, this is not something that I want to be at either. Yes. It's, it's so interesting you say that, right? Because during the process of aging, so most men go through this process of resignation. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you get to 35, you start to feel a little bit slower and then you get to 40 and all of a sudden you're markedly slower, but you kind of just say to yourself, well, just old age. Um, And then by the time you get to 45, this kind of question that you've been chewing on of decreasing energy uh, and almost maybe like to a certain degree, wondering who you are as an individual and watching your identity change. I mean, shoot forget about like two, like maybe six months. Think about if you've been doing that for five years, all of a sudden, like that is who you are as an individual. And you don't realize that there's just this other world that you can kind of, or this other person that you can be. And I think that's one of the most interesting things and something that we probably believe and and probably a lot of your listeners believe as well too, is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 40. I fundamentally believe I will live until I'm 110 or 120, right? Barring no chronic diseases, no uh, acute problems, no no heart attacks. And when you actually believe you're going to live that long, it it changes your perception of the arc of your life. Like it literally redefines yeah. the arc of your life. For sure. um, I'm literally sitting here going, I'll probably have 50 to 55 good years of my life. Forget about the bad life at the end. And so when it does that, and you start to look at uh, your parents that may have had chronic health conditions, my father's a type one diabetic with kidney problems, and it's just a really difficult journey. Um, I say to myself, I want to live very differently. 
And I actually want to get more out of life because I've enjoyed it so much, frankly. And yeah. you start thinking about what are the different ways you can optimize yourself in order to basically uh, have the energy to continue learning more, having more experiences, being with your family more often. And it's like, a, I think it's a very interesting mind shift that's happening with a lot of people right now that really isn't at the forefront of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, most uh, people, uh, they're almost like finished or they gave up after 40 in a sense that yes. they uh, accept <laughs> that I'm like, I'm old now or something. And uh, that's, that's, you know, that's the way it is like this back pain and knee pain or something, uh, slight obesity and uh, concentration problems, uh, lack of strength, all those things are considered normal for someone who is in their 40s uh, by the society. And yeah, because like when most people uh, do show those kinds of symptoms um, because of poor health, then uh, we, we kind of think that it is supposed to happen like that way. But, you know, uh, you know, actually hunter-gatherer tribes and these, let's say, longevity hotspots where people live a very long time, then they, they don't really show these kinds of chronic diseases. And they are, like you said, maintaining this, you know, good years all the way until the very last part of their life. And uh, then they like, you know, die off uh, eventually. But, you know, but, you know, they, they still have this uh, functionality and freedom and uh, good health all the way until the last parts and the last years. And uh, which is, you know, considered the, like this health span, like this increased in health span. Meet people that are 90 years old sometimes, and they have the, the youthfulness of someone that's in their 30s or 40s. And when I say youthfulness, I don't mean they look like that. It means there's an attitude of thinking about life as uh, it's still being kind of this open canvas, and they're very excited about things to come. And if you maintain that kind of outlook on life as you get older and you practice all these different behaviors, um, you tend to age far more gracefully. And I think yeah. that there's some, and it's like really inspiring to, to meet those people because you go, it's 100% possible. And like, imagine 40 years from now uh, in the future, when we'll have these incredible leaps of technological advancements, how much easier that, that only gets with time. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but how, how did you uh, get out of the sump, so to say? Like, I, I imagine that you're better now, <laughs> that you have more energy and uh, more, uh, let's say, strength. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. So, I, uh, so I'll tell you about my, my journey. Um, I initially didn't want to go on something like a testosterone in regards to hormone optimization because of all the, uh, all the other, I would say, factors that come with it. And so I initially opted for a drug called HCG, which is human chorionic gonadotropin, uh, which basically tells my body to produce more testosterone naturally. And so I took it for probably about two or three months. My body really didn't react to it that much. Uh, and so rather than kind of getting, um, I think, upset about that, my physicians were really great in telling me, like, look, everyone's body is completely different what works for C may not work for sod. And this is really kind of like a, uh, an iterative journey that we're on. And then I tried a medication called Clomid. Uh, and Clomid is actually, uh, it's, it's used for fertility, but for 30 years has been used to help uh, younger men who wanna maintain fertility, uh, increase their testosterone levels. And so I went on Clomid for about three months and I will never forget it. Like the things that first started happening is I started sleeping a little bit better. Uh, and then once I started sleeping a little bit better I, and waking up a little bit more energized, I could go to the gym a little bit more often. And then all of a sudden it was a very subtle kind of feeling, but I could uh, begin thinking through problems a little bit more deeply. And it was probably, we'll call it like four months after I started taking Clomid, 
I woke up one day and I was like, oh my God, I feel like myself again. Uh, this is absolutely wonderful. Um, and then eventually uh, I was on Clomid long enough and my, my testosterone levels went up to about, they went from like 180 to 400 and I felt much better, but I felt like I, maybe there's still a little bit more that I could actually have. And so then I add, ended up adding like a very, very small dose, like a micro dose of testosterone to that. And so myself, I personally, and this is going to sound silly for people that are, that are really in this world. I take an additional 20 milligrams of testosterone, uh, per week. Right. right. Um, and so the combination of the Clomid plus the testosterone has been absolutely perfect for me. And I've tried it where I've tried more Clomid and more testosterone, but the problem is that it then it almost makes me feel like I'm quote unquote over optimized. And that's not what my body wanted. So about seven months, eight months, all in, all of a sudden I was like, this is perfect. Exactly where I want to be. Um, like I, like I said, I literally feel like I'm in my twenties again. It's actually wonderful. Yeah. 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 Like more reasons always better. And, uh, that can definitely <laughs> have like some negative uh, side effects. Um, that's, yeah, which, yeah. Did that's you, really did, true. Go ahead. I was going to ask, like, did you change anything about your like lifestyle or, uh, like work related things? Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's interesting. Like I'm, I guess I'm always changing things to figure out how to make it better. Um, I can tell you one of the big shifts that I made is I, I hired a guy named Thomas DeLauer. Do you know who that mm. is? Yeah, um, yeah, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and so Thomas became my personal kind of like diet and fitness coach. And we spent a lot of time thinking about like my lifestyle. Right. And right now I'm at this place in my life. And I guess maybe I've been here for the past 10 years, but I work 14 hours a day uh, and mm. I do it seven days a week for three straight weeks until my body kind of breaks down and says, Hey, you need to rest. And I said to Thomas, I said, how is that we can create a protocol where, uh, I can continue to, to lose weight. I can continue to have strength, but more importantly, uh, my ability to focus throughout periods of the day actually increases. And so we ended up putting me on like on a very strict keto protocol with intermittent fasting. Uh, where I'm basically fasting every other day. And it's not a long fast window. It's like 16 hours, right? I, my body doesn't right. like the two day fast. I just, I don't, it's hard for me to handle <laughs> right now. Although I definitely aspire to do the kind of things that you do. Um, and so it has been, it started off with like a very, very strict keto regimen um, with intermittent fasting. And then it is slowly uh, introduced just a, a small number of carbs into that protocol uh, in order for me to kind of like maintain my glycogen reserves and not to become glucose insensitive, um, in addition to the intermittent fasting. Uh, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of like the way I changed my, my diet in terms of like work. I wish I could say that I worked differently. Um, but it's just when you're building these kind of companies, it's just an onslaught of like meeting, call, meeting, call, flight, meeting, call, meeting, call, flight. And you just can't really figure out like, is there a better way to work per se right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the uh, that sounds like a really good uh, protocol in a sense that uh, too much fasting and like say too much stress uh, can definitely have uh, like a negative effect on uh, the testosterone levels. And uh, yeah, like if you're trying to get out of a slump, then it doesn't make sense to let's say push push the envelope uh, too much. <laughs> and even with like the carbs and keto, like uh, at least like what I've seen in some studies is that uh, like prolonged low carb and prolonged ketosis can yeah will like lower the testosterone a little bit, whereas the carbs. 
help with both like the thyroid function and increase your energy and uh, metabolic rate uh, plus with all these uh all the six hormones are uh, including like testosterone as well so it, it like I'll, i've always been like a more proponent of doing like this uh, cyclical approach and uh applying let's say the uh, the idea of like this uh, minimal effective dose in the sense that you're not trying to push it too far and you're not necessarily trying to take it too far if you don't like need to yeah it's and it's interesting like i almost so i i'll remember when i started it off i went all the way to the end of the spectrum right like as strict as strict can be and as we we started kind of looking at how my body's changing and my mind is changing, and it, it really is now that I think about it, it is very much a cyclical approach where what I'll do is I'll basically go hard for a month uh, and then I'll start introducing some carbs into it. And then I'll, I'll become strict again, but not as strict as I was before, just because I think it was too much stress on my body. The most mm-hmm. interesting thing that I started doing was um, I had this perception that if you have any carbs while you're in ketosis, it knocks you out of ketosis. Uh, and what Thomas helped me realize is that when you actually work out and you're in ketosis, you kind of get knocked out of ketosis for a little bit, bit because right, you're releasing your, uh, yeah. the glycogen source from your muscle. And my, basically I didn't have the stamina over the course of workouts because you re- lose a lot of aerobic capacity. And so what we started doing, and this is going to sound like old school, bodybuilding and crude, but we started introducing 20 grams of, uh, of dextrose and then Mm. glucose at the end of my workouts. And so it was 40 grams of carbs right after I worked out and it probably pushed me out of ketosis for an extra hour, but my body was so fat adapted at that point in time, it just pulled me right in. Mm. And it was interesting because, uh, my workouts improved dramatically. Uh, my ability to even think throughout the day improved dramatically. And then when I went from like a very, very strict ketosis, I'm sorry, a keto diet and kind of reduced my fat consumption to about half and moved to Mediterranean fats, my whole body, just like the composition changed in two weeks. It went Mm. from, um, I mean, I literally just like shredded right down to kind of like probably what ideally I was going after for, uh, to begin with. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds good. And it's like more like the targeted uh, keto approach that uh, you have the carbs, but you have them uh, around the workout so that yeah, when they do get used, then the body is still in some semi-ketosis uh, after the fact. So that's you know a smart smart way of like timing the carbs because you could also have like the carbs in the morning when you're, uh, let's say, not working out and then get kicked out of ketosis for longer because you didn't work out before that. Whereas if you, yeah, like you said, you deplete the glycogen stores, then there is like the, almost like the sink that the uh, little swamp hole that the carbs go into immediately uh, if you are you know, after coming out of a workout. Yep, absolutely. So now what, what do you do these days? What's been kind of your protocol? Yeah, well, uh, I in terms of like ketosis and carbs, I do uh, yeah like a cyclical approach. Um, my idea has always been that I'm trying to eat like the carbs based on my activity levels. So if I'm like super active and if I'm burning a lot of glycogen, then I also eat more carbs. I usually, um, that's on the days that I do like uh, resistance training with weights uh, or my calisthenics or something like that. Uh, but on the other days where I'm like resting or if I do like a regular cardio in the aerobic zone, then uh, on those days I'll tend to stay uh, low carb. So uh, yeah, like a more traditional keto approach, but I'm still like eating a bit higher protein than uh, the standard keto uh, diet anyway. Like I'm not trying to mm-hmm. be, uh, I'm not trying to be in ketosis and I don't need to be in. And yeah, like if you are becoming very fat adapted, 
then uh, you can increase like the uh, daily carb intake plus the plus the daily protein intake uh, without really getting kicked out of uh, ketosis. Uh, or even if you do, like you're going to be back back at it, uh, back in it uh, by the next day uh, with no with no problems. It's interesting. I, I do the same thing too. Is I, I definitely am. I also had this perception that if it was too much protein, I'd probably get kicked out of ketosis too too fast. And right. uh, I think what I realized is that I needed to increase my protein intake. And I think it's it's not incredibly high, but it's probably like it's like three quarters of a gram per body weight at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to get like one gram per pound. Something like that, at least, at least like in research, it shows that um, you don't see like any additional muscle building benefits uh, beyond that. And uh, that's what I aim for. So more of it, more of it is going to be, you know, probably wasted. What about like exercise? Uh, how did, did you change anything about your exercise or uh, like what, what were some of the things that you noticed first? Oh my God. The first thing was like my ability to do any kind of endurance exercise is just plummeted. Right. Uh, and my ability to lift heavy weight just went just plummeted. And so it took me, it took my body about, I'd actually say about a month to learn how to, to utilize the, the ketones for energy. Um, and then what ended up happening was Thomas actually put me on like a very, it was really interesting. It was, uh, every other day, full body workouts, right? So it was like, it was CrossFit esque movements, um, without the intensity of it, because he wanted my body to learn how to utilize, uh, the fats instead of like the, the traditional glycogen, uh, that I was putting in my body before. And he said, you don't want to overdo it. But then what I would do is on the days that I wasn't doing these full body exercises and they were short seem like, right. They're 25 to 30 minute long exercises, uh, which almost leaves you a little bit unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, the, every other day I was doing kind of like these sprint hit workouts. So it was literally like warm up for five minutes on a treadmill, push it to 13 miles per hour and do, uh, eight to 10, 30 second sprints, just like, and so because my body wasn't used to that, it, it, it like almost forced me to become really efficient. And then probably about another 30 days in, I noticed that I was back into the same shape I was previously, which is right. I could, I could, Uh, I could run a long distance. I could work out for a long period of time. And now, now uh, we kind of have readjusted it to more of like a hit slash bodybuilding kind of workout. So it is high volume, high weight every other day. And then the days that I'm not actually kind of like pushing in the gym, it is just a, a lot of kind of like cardio hit work. And so it's, I've only been doing it for, for, a week now. So I don't know how, um, I don't know what the effects are going to be, frankly. All I know yeah. is I'm sore again, which is great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, chances are that, um, uh, if you do the, like more the resistance training and the bodybuilding, then, uh, you, you, you know, eventually you will see like this increase in muscle mass and uh, more definition probably because yeah, like, you know, the cardio workouts or the CrossFit workouts, they do, um, have like a, the anaerobic aspect to it, but, um, that usually don't have like this hypertrophy response as much as you get from like a powerlifting or a bodybuilding. So, and you know, if you change, you know, like your body adapts quite fast. And if you change your workout, let's say the entire philosophy around the workouts, then you do see like this uh, market change in, in the body composition, at least, at least like in, in the short term. Well, knock on wood. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping <laughs> so. I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for, uh, as they say, your summer body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about, you know, um, you know what, what, what would be like the biggest causes of uh, this uh, low testosterone that you have come across in your like research? Uh, so this is interesting because when I first started reading about it, I almost thought it was conspiratorial, right? Meaning like it almost sounds like this very dark uh, plan from some kind of, <laughs> I would almost say like nefarious uh, authority that decided they want to do this to men all over the world. But what you actually see is that there is a generational shift of both testosterone as well as sperm counts. So unfortunately, I'm going to bucket you and I into the same age group, although I think I've got about 10, 10 or 11 <laughs> years on you here, uh, or maybe actually more than that now that I think about it, like 15. But when you look at our father's generation in comparison to us, we actually have 26% less testosterone and uh 50% less sperm, right? And those are like very, very big numbers. And so when you start looking into it, uh, and this is where I thought it got very conspiratorial, is that when you look at all the environment, a lot of the environmental contaminants that were surrounded it around, uh, PCBs, uh, plastics in our drinking water, foods we consume, deodorants we use, a lot of them essentially get into our body. And for males, they resemble these estrogenic compounds. And these estrogenic compounds basically tell the hormone regulating centers in your brain, your hyper, uh, your, your H, we'll just call it your pituitary gland for, for simplification's sake, uh, to basically stop endogenous testosterone production. And so now you have a group of much younger men um, that have lowered testosterone levels earlier on in life. And then what's even more interesting is that as you start to look in larger cities or urban areas where there's just a higher level of uh, in environmental contaminants, uh, you begin to see that there are actually even lower testosterone levels uh, in mm -hmm. those places. Um, and so that is one of the, the main things that we're beginning to see. And what's really interesting is when you look at the average age of a testosterone user, at least in the US, it's 53 years old. The average age of our user is 39 years old. And mm. so what we begin, what we see happening is there is fundamentally a brand new group of men that are experiencing this problem that are actually crying out for help and they don't have a, a really great outlet. And so when they see our solution, it just makes a lot of sense for them. Um, and, and what's interesting is we spend a lot of time talking about like, why are you actually doing this? And the thing that they consistently say to us seem is they say, I want energy to feel like myself again, which is very different than I want to put more muscle mass on, or I want uh, to be able to have more sex. It really is like a fundamental, something's wrong with me and I don't feel like myself kind of uh, insight that we're getting. Right. Yeah, I've also seen that uh, this trends and this research about these uh, xenoestrogens and these plastics and things like that. And it does, um, I think that it does have like a contributing role for sure. Like the uh, use of these plastics and chemicals has increased exponentially over the, over the course of these last few decades. And uh, yeah, there may be some correlation there. Plus also that, you know, there's this just the, uh, I don't know, let's say the sanitary lifestyle or the, uh, you know, obesity and all those things have also been uh, climbing exponentially. So uh, yes, yeah, a combination of many things. Like um, I think that the uh, plastics and the chemicals have a part and uh, the just the poor lifestyle habits also are pretty huge because I, I would imagine that, you know, or, or like you said that, yeah, like the uh, city centers or the, the places where there's more of these, uh, let's say the urban lifestyle or the urban environments that those places have more of these low testosterone rates, which makes sense because they are, let's say, surrounded more by this uh, exposure to those things. Whereas like me, 
like I, I used to grow up in the countryside and I, I like I didn't have like that much let's say junk food even in the house or like access to these plastics or something like that so I, I would imagine mm-hmm. that uh, hopefully like I think that's <laughs> my situation is going to be a lot better in the future. That probably is very true and so you actually talked about something that that is central to kind of like the reason why there are uh, very quickly changing hormone levels it is obesity right like especially mm-hmm. in the US there's just so much processed food. Uh, it is way cheaper to go to McDonald's or Wendy's and buy your dinner than it is to go get something healthy. And so you do have an overly, I would say, a, a rapidly growing number of people that are very much in that obese category that are seeking real help. Like we, we see a ton of patients that, that kind of fall into that category. Mm. What is the... Uh let's say the average level of testosterone that your uh, customers come to, or like, how do they uh, register their test levels? Like, do they come super low or uh, like, are they actually doing it preemptively or something, or they come when they're actually like super low? So when we first started the company, right, we actually had a feeling that we were going to get a lot of guys that were probably in like the, we'll call it the normal to low normal range. But what we're actually seeing is that 75, 76% of the guys that are coming to us have a testosterone level that is in like the subtherapeutic category, or I'm sorry, the, the, like the, the real truly defined is hypogonadal category. And, and so there's a couple of different theories we have behind this. One is, uh, yes, we do believe that testosterone rates are decreasing very rapidly. But the other thing is, I think that there are men that are self-selecting themselves for this, right? I mean, if you see kind of an ad on, on whatever channel that is that you're, you're browsing on and the ad doesn't resonate with you because you've already gone to companies like Roman or Hims or you tried a lot of lifestyle uh, measures, you're not willing to kind of like do an at-home blood test where you're breaking skin and you're giving us blood and mailing it to some to someplace else. And so we think that a lot of these guys have gotten to the point where this is actually the only solution they have uh, because their doctor won't help them uh, kind of that they had the same experience as I did, or uh, there's haven't reached the point where they're saying I'm willing to go to the, to actually pricking my finger. Mm. So yeah, as I understand, then it's like a home test kit that you send them. And uh, based upon that, you're kind of giving them the uh, treatment protocol and uh, they get access to those uh, equipment to their home. Yeah, that's correct. So, so it actually, it's a at-home blood testing kit. We send it out to them. There are two lancets. They, they prick their fingers very quickly. They give us uh, four drops of blood on um, these little pieces of filter paper. Uh, and they send that filter paper off to one of our labs. We analyze it for eight different hormones, right? And that's the, the most important part is some people will only look at one hormone, but the reality is we're trying to understand what are the different factors in your body right now that are kind of conspiring to create what is potentially this feeling of low energy, loss of libido, muscle loss, weight gain, whatever it is. And once we can identify what the mechanism of action is in your body, we then basically put together very finely defined protocols, meaning right? Our doctors don't use SMS. They don't use asynchronous consults. It is a 30 minute FaceTime consult. So you're coming in, you are describing who you are, what you, the problems you're going through, kind of like the psychological drivers. And then the physicians are giving you different options and basically saying, 
here is the benefit and side effect profile of each of these options. This is the one I think I recommend for you to do, but at the end of the day, it is a decision that you make on your own. And so what, we, what we're trying to do is rather than just being a one and done kind of clinic, we develop these very deep relationships. And every 90 days after a man gets medication, we do another blood test, we do another consult with a physician, and then we do that every 90 days over the course of their treatment because what essentially happens is, and you know this really well, the moment you start pushing on one hormone, their downstream effects and other hormones begin to change, right? The best example of that is once you start increasing someone's testosterone, that, may, that means there may be more aromatization into estrogen. That means uh, it may actually convert into more DHT, depending upon how much SHBG or albumin someone has in their body, the, the free test that you're producing, or say the, the total test you're producing, a lot of it might get pulled in and there's, there's less free tests. So we want to understand all those different parameters and make sure that we're, we're advising men the right way. Mm, gotcha. And uh, yeah, it, it's like, uh, you know, is it based on a prescription or something uh, in a sense that the, like, usually as I understand, like usually to get TRT, then you need to get a prescription from a doctor, your uh, like family physician or something. That's correct. So we work with independent licensed practitioners, right. To do the 30 minute physician consult. And then if it is a non-controlled substance, then that physician can prescribe the uh, medication directly to the patient. If it is a controlled substance, we do something that other clinics may not, which is we actually send a confirmatory kit out. Plus we test a bunch of other biomarkers at that point in time to help us understand if testosterone would be safe for the patient. It's like a really important part of our entire protocol. And then they do a confirmatory test. And if they are successful with a confirmatory test, and we know that it's not going to uh, maybe harm their PSA or harm or increase their hematocrit levels, which is a total number of red blood cells you have, we then send out testosterone. Mm -hmm. And uh, is this legal? <laughs> One, 125%. Good. So one of the, we, and I say this like with a tremendous amount of pride, we over index ourselves on being probably one of the most conservative clinics out there uh, that employs one of the most stringent set of safety protocols. And I think some customers might even think we're a pain in the ass, excuse my language, <laughs> because we want to make sure we're extra safe when we do this thing. Mm, right. Yeah, it's glad to hear. And uh, it's also like exciting in a sense that you can see that with, I don't know, like the innovation of technology and uh, innovation of this uh, hormone optimization, health optimization, or whatever you want to call it, like uh, you can see that the, these kind of barriers or these uh, gatekeepers can be, uh, let's say, displaced because like traditional, like you said, if you try to get this uh, TRT uh, from your doctor, then you're going to have like a really hard time because like uh, they probably don't want to hear about it anything. And they would yeah, much rather see you just um, like experience this, uh, this, uh, this, you know, downward spiral of your health. Uh, so whereas, yeah, like you can see like this with new, co new companies, new innovations, we can uh, make things uh, more accessible to people who actually like need it and uh, who would like, you know, prefer to improve the quality of the life, uh, especially like in their later years. Yep, absolutely. And I'll, I'll add something else, which is you're probably like me and that you measure your body in a lot of different ways. I'm guessing you've got an aura ring. I feel like we've had this conversation. Do you have a whoop band as well too? No, no, just the aura ring. Oh, well, you need, okay. You should get one of these. We're going to make sure they, they, they we're going to make sure they get you one of these things. But basically um, the most interesting thing that we can do that other companies don't right now 
is because we're collecting biomarkers at the beginning of the journey. Uh, we're then providing medications, and then we are um, doing another set of biomarkers 90 days in, as well as titrating those medications or uh, changing them up but based upon the way the patient's feeling. We now have like this incredibly robust data set where we can begin to see patterns in uh, prescribing behaviors, efficacy behaviors, and it allows us to do two things, right? It's fascinating because, wait, so Seem, you're like 25? 26, yeah. 26, all right. So you're probably not the best example, but let's say you were 32 years old, right? Uh, and you decided to come in and take Clomid and you had uh, like, a, like a mild amount of symptom relief, but you didn't really feel like you wanted to feel. We basically have the data now to say, hey, for other 32-year-old white males um, that are of European descent, that's probably a little bit pushing it. But if you were to take a combination of Clomid and anastrozole or Clomid and testosterone, we can actually improve your testosterone levels by X percent. And the patients that do that have uh, 20% more symptom resolution than you do. And so what it allows us to do is start to run kind of like these longitudinal trials to see uh, as we introduce more medications, what are the most efficacious combinations? And then more interestingly, we can then turn around to our physicians and basically say, hey, look, the way you've been prescribing, it's good, but do you know that if you were to potentially prescribe this way, the safety profile may be better and also the efficacy may improve a little bit as well. And so we are now like nerding out over this data that I think a lot of other companies don't have access to the way we do. Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, uh, but let's say uh, you know uh, who would be like a good candidate then for this um, hormone replacement therapy. So like you know they they do feel let's say um, the symptoms of low testosterone like fatigue and you no know, energy and uh, brain fog and those things and obesity. Uh, but you know, maybe if maybe if the like the lab results are actually like optimal, like should they do, should they still do this TRT or like should they first have like the lifestyle covered first and they all the fundamentals before they you know dabble into this uh, kind of uh, the exogenous uh, route? Well, th th that go I think that goes without saying, right? <laughs> the first thing you should do, and it here's the here's like the rub about health. If you were to just reduce your st stress, if you were to sleep better probably drink some more water and have some kind of movement in your life, chances are a large number of the health problems that you have would probably just go away, right? Mm. So I would always say you should try the, the more natural approaches first. And then I would also say we are not an optimization clinic, right? There are certain clinics you can go to as a 26-year-old and say, hey, Saad, I just want to feel a little bit better. Uh, I'd love to go on TRT. We wouldn't prescribe it to you, right? we specifically do these hormone analyses to mm -hmm. see if you are clinically low. Gotcha. And we only prescribe medications to men that are clinically low uh, because one, that's the most, I should say, it's it's the the safest thing to do. We prescribe by what they call AUA guidelines. So uh, mm -hmm. American Urological Association guidelines, which require two independent testosterone readings underneath 300 to classify hypogonadism. Um, and, and basically, uh, you have to be, you could be low, but if you aren't having symptoms, it wouldn't make sense for us to prescribe to. And so we yeah. spend a lot of time making sure that we are working with guys that actually are like, and I hate to use this word, but quote unquote, maybe sick a little bit to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's good to hear. And yeah, like it should, it should be like, you know, um, yeah, like as a, almost like a last resort in the sense that, uh, yeah, like you have to first have the other lifestyle factors covered 
and then like if everything else has been you know, looked into then that can be like the uh, thing that you uh, go for and if you yeah any like is it you know you, you don't you don't probably have to stay on it for the rest of life or uh, like what are the uh, how does it affect let's say your natural testosterone production then that's a great question too i'm going to say this word uh, it depends and i'll tell you what i mean by that um let's say that you are so basically let me give you just a quick uh description on how um this hpa axis works in our body so basically in your head you have a pituitary gland that pituitary gland uh, cells sends a signal down to your testes using something called luteinizing hormone or lh that lh basically tells uh, the latex cells in your testes to produce more testosterone um, some men have the ability to produce more testosterone some men don't, meaning like the, the machinery or the is almost broken. And so for younger guys that take things like a fertility, and by the way, I should preface all this by saying, I'm not a physician. <laughs> I should have said <laughs> yeah. that right at the beginning. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I just happen to know a little bit about this because it's one of my passions. Um, and so this is not medical advice, but basically um, for younger guys, if they're taking a fertility drug to increase their, uh, their testosterone levels, um, very often you can kind of kickstart that signal and you can go off that clomid and it will continue to persist mm. for other men that may be older let's call it 55 or 60 years old the the uh the testicular function may actually be gone and so mm. even if you're kind of kickstarting that signal using clomid it may just not do too much because right it just they don't have the ability to produce more testosterone so then you have to take testosterone exogenously uh, and when you take testosterone exogenously it basically uh and it also also depends how much you're taking how long you're taking it but it could actually downregulate your entire uh your your hpa feedback and so there is a possibility um that you may need to be on it for a prolonged period of time otherwise you go back to feeling worse than you potentially did before so yeah like if you um, start to inject it exogenously then your body stops producing it naturally because it kind of experiences this negative feedback loop and uh, if you stop taking it then you need to go through this let's say what's it called um, like the recovery protocol or something that you kickstart the uh, natural process again P uh, pct post therapy right, right. Uh, po uh, post-cycle therapy post-cycle therapy thank you so much very <laughs> much uh but basically you can take something like an hcg or a clomid to help kickstart the system afterwards as well too right and uh as, as then like the smaller amounts may not always suppress the uh, natural testosterone like the 20 milliliters that you're taking uh, does that suppress your natural testosterone i mean at uh, 20 milligrams if i was taking 20 milliliters okay. i'd be uh <laughs> i'd be i'd be a monster uh um so I'll tell you, I've, I've been doing it now for probably seven months and it doesn't feel like it's reduced my natural production. And I do blood work. I mean, just because I, I luckily, you know, I, I work for a company that, that does this, uh, I do it like every single month. And That's so cool. I'm pretty much seeing like a pretty natural, or I would say a stabilized level, uh, a testosterone level at this point in time. Okay. And uh, you might be asking, like, what level is it? Like, how high? You see, I don't take myself too much higher than like 450, 475, to be honest. Like, okay. I don't, a lot of men feel optimized at 800, 900, 1000, 1100. I've, I've been up that high. It 
it's it's just too much for me, frankly. Like in, in this yeah. particular instance, it really was less is more. Mm. But but that's you know, that's another interesting part of the conversation as well, too, though. Right. When you look at that reference range, the reference range is really kind of like the middle of a, of a uh, bell curve distribution of where the majority of the population actually lies. And okay. so I think that I could have maybe naturally indexed lower on testosterone my entire life. There's a possibility that maybe I never was at 900 or 1,000 in my life. Hmm. But I don't know because I wasn't measuring at that point in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like more isn't always better. Yeah. And, uh, there's going to be more side effects if you uh, take more and if your testosterone levels themselves are, are higher, then you're also going to get more side effects in the sense you mentioned this ar aromatization. So you're going to experience more aromatization if you have, let's say, ab above what's considered normal, you know, your uh, testosterone levels. That's correct. Right. And, and that's, you know, it's interesting because um, the side effects that you can have from testosterone, right, is uh, additional weight gain, primarily from water weight. You can have gynecomastia, which are... Uh, it's the, the technical term for man boobs. Um, yeah. uh, you can also have uh, male pattern baldness or hair loss. Now there is another, it's, it's very interesting because there, just like we were talking about when you eat your carbs during keto and that, how that can drive uh, changes, the timing and the size of your injection that you're administering also drives how large of a side effect that you're having. So what ends up happening very often right, is let's say a guy's taking hundred milligrams per week. They inject themselves. When they inject themselves in 100 milligrams, your, your, your blood concentration of testosterone goes up very high. And when it goes up very high, that's where this aromatization or this spillage happens and you have a higher propensity for side effects. And then over the course of, we'll call it a week, your body naturally uh, starts using up that testosterone and it starts decreasing the concentration level in your body. And so then what a lot of guys will say is I have too many side effects. So what we'll do is literally take that hundred milligrams and you'll divide it into two doses and you'll take it every three days rather than once a week. And so uh, luckily it feels like there are ways to kind of like curtail some of the side effects that we're seeing. Mm. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> that is something also that you, uh, you know, uh, work through with the uh, practitioner who, uh, you know, prescribed you the uh, treatment. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, and I'd say the other really interesting thing too, that we just did seem is, um, right. I think that so many of these conversations that are useful happen on these, uh, like on these forums, kind of like on these far corners of the internet. And there's a lot of bro science that happens there. And so what we've done is we actually literally just two days ago, we rebranded the company from, from peak to hone. And then what we just ended up doing is we built a community on the site. And so we have, um, and it literally just started this thing, you know, 50 people that are beginning to have conversations about what their treatment is like, uh, how they've worked with their physician. And it's not to be meant to be taken as medical advice, but it's really meant to be um, just experiential wisdom about what someone has gone through during their treatment protocol. And our hope is to have more men in that forum having conversations about what they've been through. And it's really interesting because they, these guys are telling their stories and the, the ways their lives have improved are not things like I can go to the gym longer. It's like, I can get on the floor and play with my four-year-old more often. I can uh, be there to uh, spend more time with my wife and not get cranky and not snap at her as much. Um, so it is like a, it's a very kind of like new and unique approach. I think that we're, we're taking to kind of like telehealth where it's usually just formed somewhere else, telehealth somewhere else. We've kind of combined the two of them.
Awesome. <laughs> That's good. I also saw on the website that you have like uh, testosterone creams instead of the injections. We do. How does that we work? We do. So what's interesting, so I'll, I'll actually, so we have um, injections, we have creams and we have trochies and trochies are kind of like these little candies you put underneath your mouth or gummies. What proportion of each do you think we sell? Uh, well, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> well, people are usually afraid of needles. So they're opting in for like the creams and the trochies, but I, as I understand, like the uh, injections are still less and more effective and the superior. So it's interesting. Uh, we thought that we'd sell the most trochies because they're the easiest to administer. 90% of everything we sell is an injection. Hmm. And then 5% creams, 5% trochies. And I think that uh, men believe that the, the most efficacious method is really kind of using the injection. Um, interestingly, the cream may be the strongest method. Um, now, there are a lot of downsides with the cream, right? You have to, one, the best place to apply it is uh, your your, your testes. Um, and some guys don't like doing that. Then you have to apply it once in the morning, once at night, you can't have any sexual contact after you apply it. Um, generally, right. If you, if you, uh, if, if you have a partner, you can, but if you have a wife, you probably don't want to rub off your testosterone on her. Um, and then, but you also see the high side effect profile with the creams as well too, because it is so strong. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's interesting. How how much stronger is it in terms of the uh, like how much how much more does it raise testosterone? So what we've seen is right. Um, so you know I'll go back to this kind of curve concept. When you when you basically inject testosterone, it goes up to some number, right? Uh, generally, we're seeing like eight or nine hundred is where you go up to for the beginning of that first uh, first two or three days after you shoot a shoot a shot. And then it obviously comes down because your body's metabolizing that testosterone. And uh, generally, whenever we do another blood reading, uh, or I'm sorry, a blood test, we'll call it directly before they take another shot, it probably comes down to like 550, 600-ish kind of deal. With the creams, we see it go up to 900 to 1,000. And because you're applying it morning and night, and your body doesn't have as much time to metabolize it, and it's happening far more frequently, it is kind of sticking around there. So obviously, the higher you go, and you, the longer you stick around there, there just may be some some more side effects associated with it. Okay. And what is the, uh, let's say, the oldest uh, person could uh, start uh, TRT? Like, uh, is there like any age upper limit? Oof. Ah. <laughs> uh, Maybe let me answer it this way. Um, the the kind of like the upper limit of customers that we see are about 75 or 76. Uh, we haven't seen too many older customers older than that. And I think primarily maybe because they're not on the same channels that we're advertising on. Maybe they don't feel comfortable that end a home kit. Uh, but I don't know what the upper limit is technically. Mm. Okay, right. Well, I would imagine that, you know, technically you could take it you know until the rest of a life uh but you know who knows like how your let's say uh, organism or your, how your how does your health uh, respond to exogenous testosterone uh, in your later life when you already have like these other uh, co comorbidities that naturally happen uh, as a byproduct of aging so like eventually eventually you're gonna get all at least like some of the diseases you're gonna get eventually and it's just a matter of well, how long are you gonna experience them and how severe uh, are they yep it's, so 
there's a couple of really interesting studies that are coming out right now. And by the way, I don't know what the upper range of these studies is, but the, the basic punchline from them is men that have uh, normal or slightly elevated testosterone rates because they're on therapy actually have uh, fewer comorbidities and they tend to have higher quality cardiovascular health, right? And that's kind of, I think the, there was this very large misperception or stigma that testosterone really kind of caused uh, an increased rate of cardiovascular events. And I think in certain populations, that's definitely true. But I think what's interesting is like now the, the tide is kind of shifting and they're showing that men who have healthier testosterone levels because they're more active, right? And it's not the testosterone per se, it's the testosterone giving you more energy so you can do more things and you can feel better about yourself that have all those downstream impacts, uh, give you better health in, in your slightly older age. Mm. Yeah. Because like, yeah, that's a misconception. The, the low testosterone can also have like serious uh, negative side effects, like, you know, obesity and, uh, and uh, frailty muscle loss, those things are, can be caused by low testosterone. So in most cases, like actually, let's say at least people in their sixties or seventies, they would be better off by having a bit higher testosterone levels uh, through whatever means they achieve it. Yeah, that's, it, it would, it would seem so. Uh, it would definitely seem so. It is, you, you hit on an interesting thing, right? Which is if you have lower testosterone levels, you have decreased bone mineral density. Uh, you have sarcopenia, which is muscle loss. And then you have obesity. And like, it is like this unvirtuous cycle of if those things start happening, you start moving less, you start moving less, you gain more weight, you lose more muscle, you become uh, maybe more withdrawn in life. And that turns into like a psychological kind of an impact of yeah. not feeling great about yourself. So there is like in all things, like a balance that you have to achieve. And I think going back to those four things you can do to just be healthy, I think the testosterone gives you more energy to do those four things. So you can just stay on top of yourself. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Is there anything else like uh, we didn't cover that you, you know, want to mention? Um. You know, I think that the interesting thing is what we're really trying to do that's different than other companies is we're trying to create a community of men that are kind of going through this very stigmatized process where they think that something is horribly wrong with them or like this is like a dirty thing that they they are partaking in. And the reality is that I actually think it's one, going to become a very normal thing. And I think two, the most interesting thing though, is when guys are in their late 30s, early 40s, 50s, it'll just become a normal part of life. We're thinking about how do we optimize our hormones because we're going to be living so much longer. And frankly, it is completely our right to figure out how to feel like the best version of ourselves, Right. Uh, and I also think life's dirty little secret. And you'll learn this too, Seem, is that like, as you get older, like, I guess I'm, I'm 40 ish. Uh, I swear to God, I'm like 21 year old in my head. And it's like, right. When you begin to have the experience that would teach you how to live life the way you really want to life robs energy from you. And, and I think that what men are going to start doing and people in general is they're going to say, I don't think that should happen because I have every single right to figure out how to continue having, having more. And I hate to use the word like vitality or vigor because they sound such cliche words, mm -hmm. but having both of those as I get older, so I can just get more out of life. And so I think that's kind of like the, the, the message that we really want to lead with everyone is that like, we are in this really interesting place in life right now where we're living in the middle of it and you have every single right to feel like the best version of yourself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We have like this technology and the knowledge, 
And it's also just improving the quality of life, you know, not necessarily the length of life. The quality is still <laughs> much more, you know, enjoyable and uh, most people would prefer the quality over like the length. Absolutely. I, I would, I'd prefer 85 years feeling like I feel like right now rather than 150. Um, but I think you can have a little bit of both, frankly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, Will, it's been uh, great talking with you. And uh, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work and uh, your uh, clinic? The okay, so the 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 website is honehealth.com. That's H-O-N-E health.com. Um, you can also find me if you want to send me a personal email. I am S Alam. It's S A L A M at honehealth.com. You can find me on Instagram at M Saad Alam. That's M S A A D A L A M uh, on Instagram, and then on Twitter, I'm Saad has a dream. Awesome. And my last question is, uh, we're going to put all the links in the show notes. And my last question is, um, what's this one piece of advice or a habit that you uh, wish you adopted sooner? Oh, my God, that, that one's actually so easy. Uh, <laughs> I wish that I had started meditating when I was in my 20s. Hmm. Um, if someone said you can only have one thing, I'd actually choose a meditation over anything else because and there, and there's like so many different kinds of meditation and it takes time to learn how to do any, which one figure out if it's the right thing for you. And you also learn how to pull one out based upon where you are in life. And so I would tell people, and I hate it when people say I've tried to, my mind's racing. I say, you have to give it six months, actually. Like you've got to give it six months and commit yourself to the, to the practice. But once you figure it out, oh my God, it's like the best thing. And it's just like, I'm always calm. I very rarely get rattled. Um, I can push myself for longer periods of time. I'm happier. I'm more grateful. Uh, and, and the other thing is, it's going to sound silly too, but like practice gratitude every morning, right? Like yeah. something very simple and it programs your mind to constantly think positively in, in every situation. Um, and you can realize that the same exact situation that you're in today, if you reframed your perspective and were grateful for the things you do have, what feels like you're maybe in like this brat race or endless hole you're in is actually like an incredibly great place to be in life. Uh, and mm. so I'd say those are the two simple things I'd actually tell people to do. Uh, and everyone says they're too difficult. And I'm like, no, they're apps that <laughs> yeah. make it dead simple. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, meditation is a super powerful uh, well, yeah, it was uh, great talking with you, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll see each other in the future at another event or something. <laughs> I sure, I sure hope so. Well, the world is finally opening back up, right? So yeah. I have a feeling like a lot of this stuff is going to be happening again very quickly. Yeah, we'll hope so. All right, uh, well, it was a great talking with you, and uh, yeah, I'll see you around. Sounds great. Thanks, Steve.